0: Proverbs twenty three twenty nine says, "See a person who's good at what he does, uh, he will have an audience with kings and not just obscure people." And I want to introduce you to one of our really good graduates. In fact, this person is the very first graduate of Crown College. Uh, he could have been the last graduate of Saint Paul Bible College, or he could have been the first graduate of Crown College back in nineteen ninety two when that name change was being made. And uh, James chose to be the very first graduate of Crown College. So the diploma that says Crown College, the very first one, goes to our speaker this morning who graduated from Crown in 1992. Uh, After graduating, he went on to Moody uh, uh, Bible and did a Master of Arts uh, degree there in uh, ministry. And then he became the youth pastor at Blanchard Road Alliance Church in Chicagoland area and was there for, I don't know, maybe... 20 years? Something like that in youth ministry. Now, you do youth ministry in one church for 20 years. Uh, That's amazing because you can't just like do the same thing three years in six different places, right? So you're doing 20 years of it in one church. So fantastic guy. And then because he was so good at what he did, he was promoted, I guess, or maybe demoted uh, to the national headquarters where he is now the national youth uh, director for the Christian Missionary Alliance in Colorado Springs. And because of these accomplishments, uh, this year, the Alumni Association at Crown College uh, decided to confer upon James uh, the Professional of the Year Award from the Alumni Association. And since James wasn't here at the alumni uh, uh, gathering at homecoming this year, it's my honor to give uh, James this plaque this morning as a Professional of the Year 2014 so would you join me in congratulating and welcoming our speaker, uh, James Grout this morning?
1: Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. Uh yeah, maybe I'll just put it right there. Sounds good. Wow, thank you. Uh appreciate that very much, Mr. President. I I was a youth pastor for 20 years, and then apparently I became a professional after that. So I got the Professional of the Year award. It's great to be a professional. I was very tired of people talking about youth ministry and a youth pastor like me being in the trenches. I hear it all the time. Well, you're there in the trenches. And I was like, okay, but I have an office. Like, (laughs) you don't have, I don't actually live in a trench. You're aware of that, right? I just want to be want to be very clear. So uh, I, I'm a youth pastor, and I have been for a long time, and that means that I have about four stories, and I just tell them everywhere I go. And I have decided that I am going to retire a story here today. This will be the final time that I tell this story, unless I decide to take it out of retirement when I speak at Simpson the next month. So... <laughs> But the reason I wanna retire this story is I've been thinking about retiring it for a long time, but it's a story that actually took place in this building. And uh, it happened when I was a student here. And if you've ever heard me speak at a camp or a retreat, you've probably heard this story, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. And, uh, uh, and then maybe I'll let it go after that. So I, I was here on campus one summer. I, got a, I, I decided I wanted to live here with all my friends. They were hanging out for the summer. And, uh, and I decided I wanted to stay on campus, so I got a job here on campus, and I was part of the maintenance crew. And we were making, I think, I think we were making a hefty $6 an hour, and so that was a pretty sweet job. But we did get to stay on campus for free if we were actually working on campus. So I was living on campus, working on campus. My friends and I were having a great time, but one night we were really bored, and uh, and I had always sort of been jealous of my friends because I was on the painting crew. So I was doing painting, but not, not really fun outdoor on scaffolding painting. I was painting like the shower rooms and the bathrooms and that kind of stuff. That was my job. I was getting six bucks an hour. All of my friends, all of them were on the lawn maintenance crew. So every day I'm walking down the hall with a bucket of paint and I'm looking out the window at my friends who are like, out there in the sun, getting tan, and I'm sure they were working at some point, but they're out there getting tan, and, and and then the thing that I was most jealous about was that they got to drive around on the college golf cart, and I did not. I had to walk everywhere I went with a bucket of paint. They got to actually get in the college golf cart, drive around. They could do stuff all over campus, and I was super jealous of that. So one night, very late at night, me and three friends were sitting on the floor, uh, not very far from here in the hallway, and... Uh, and we were just bored, just so bored. None of us had a car. I was kind of hungry. And it's like, man, what, what is there to do? There's nothing to do. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And there was a gas station just down here. It was a Tom Thumb then. I don't know what it is now. But I said, maybe we could go to the gas station. And everybody's like, yeah, but we have to walk. And that's lame. And I was like, yeah. And, and then I said, maybe we could take the campus golf cart <laughs> down to Tom Thumb. And, and they being college students, all thought that was a great idea. We should totally do that. We should get in the campus golf cart and drive out onto County Road 30. That would be wise. So, <clears throat> so we went down to the garage, and uh, we went to go into the garage, and the, and the door to the garage was locked, and we were like, ah, well. So we picked the lock. So we get in the garage, <laughs> and we look across the garage, and there against the wall, it, by the way, don't do this. I just just need to say that now. Okay, so we look across the garage and there's the golf cart. It's plugged into the wall. It was an electric golf cart, plugged into the wall charging for the night. And so we go over to it and I hop in. I'm super excited because I'm gonna actually get to drive the golf cart. I hop in and I go, to, I go to, to start it and the keys are missing. So I was like, ah, we'll have to hotwire it. So we hotwire the golf cart, which by the way is not that difficult, um, but, but don't do it. I just wanna be very clear not to do that. So we hotwire the golf cart, We open the garage door and we go out. And I totally forget about wanting to go and get something to eat at Tom Thumb because now I'm in the golf cart and all I wanna do is just drive all over the campus. So we're out driving up and down hills and going around trees. We're out on the football field doing donuts. We're we're driving all over the place. We are laughing so hard. There's four of us on this golf cart built for two. It has two seats, but there's four of us on there. And these dudes that were with me were pretty big dudes. Uh, They played on the football team. They're pretty big guys. So here's four pretty large men on this golf cart, driving around, having a great time. So then we decide, okay, let's, let's see if we can get, you know, if we can go out there, if, we can, if there's no traffic, maybe we'll go down to Tom Thumb out on County Road 30. So we drive all the way down to the end of College Road. And just as we're about to pull onto County Road 30, the battery dies. And now we're just like, oh, you're kidding me. We're like all the way out here, the battery's dead, it didn't have a full charge, apparently, I don't know why. Because someone stole it. So we're we're at the end of the road, and it was like, ah, now we got to turn around, and go back. So I was like, well, okay, if you guys could push, that'd be great. I'll steer. Someone's got to steer. So they all hop out, and they're pushing it. And we're laughing. It's pretty funny. So we're pushing it. It's like midnight, 1 a.m. by this time. And we're pushing this thing back up the hill, trying to get it up to the top so we can maybe coast for a little while. And it starts to rain. And it was raining just a little, which was funny. Uh, And then it started to rain a lot. And then, I don't know if any of you have ever, some of you are probably from Minnesota, so you know what those summer thunderstorms can be like. It turned into one of those. It was just this crazy, torrential downpour, lightning and thunder, and we can't see two feet in front of us, and we are just laughing our heads off. We just think this is hilarious. So we finally get it to the top of the hill. They hop in. We all start kind of coasting down the hill, and in the distance, I see two sort of shadowy figures walking down the road. And I'm like... Okay, it's one in the morning, and it's pouring rain, and there's lightning, and there's two people walking down the street. And not only that, but I could tell they were holding hands. So it's some couple out for a romantic walk in a rainstorm at one in the morning, and we're just dying. We're like, oh, this is going to be funny. Like, we're thinking of all the funny things we're going to say as we drive by them, and like, like, nice night for a walk or something like that, <laughs> something really clever. And so we're kind of rolling along, and as we're getting closer, I'm looking, trying to figure out, now, who is that? I know everybody on campus. I'm trying to figure out who it is. Who is that? I'm looking, I'm looking, and then I realize who it is. There's a guy by the name of Mark, and Mark was in charge of one thing on the campus. He worked for the maintenance crew, (laughs) and he was in charge of all the vehicles on campus. All of them, every single one, all the gas-powered ones and the electric-powered ones. The only guy on campus who would actually care that we had stolen the golf cart was out for a romantic walk with his girlfriend at one in the morning, and we're about to pass him in a defunct golf cart. All of a sudden, everything that I had clever to say just went out of my mind, and I wanted to just pretend he wasn't there, so we did. We all just stared straight ahead. <laughs> like, like he, won't, he won't see us, he won't even notice. Just staring straight ahead. And as we pass him, he looks at us and he just goes, put it back. <laughs> no more laughter, no more joy, no more fun. We push the thing all the way back to the garage. We towel it off. We plug it in. We go in. We sit down on the hallway on the floor and we just are bummed out. We're just depressed. We're just like, oh, I can't believe it. In the morning, he's gonna tell Dave, our boss, and we're all gonna get fired. And then I'm gonna to have to go back home because I can't live on campus for free and I can't afford to stay here otherwise. So we're just totally bummed. We're trying to figure it out. What can we do? Can we, can we, can we talk to Mark? Can we convince him not to talk to Dave? Can we, you know, can we maybe pay him off? Is there anything we could do? Like what can we actually do to make sure that he doesn't tell Dave so that we don't lose our $6 an hour jobs? And now I know from this point on in the story, it's gonna sound like a lie, but this is the absolute truth. Someone said, I think we have to kill Mark. (laughs) And and you would think, you would think with three other Bible college students there listening to that, one of them would have said, no, that's a sin and a bad plan. But no, all three of the others said, I think you're right. And then, and then we start going, and we got to make it look like an accident, and it has to happen before morning so that he can't talk to Dave, and we start planning how to kill Mark. As we're going through the plan to kill Mark, all of a sudden I realize, oh man, you guys, we got to kill his girlfriend too. We can't just, she saw us, he saw us, she saw us, so we have to kill both of them. We can't just let her go. So now, we have, to, we have to kill two people on campus, make them both look like accidents in separate places at different times. So here we have four Bible college students sitting on the floor of their college plotting a double homicide. (laughs) We thought about it for a long time, we gave up on the plan, we had ideas, but we gave up on the plan and we all went to bed at about three in the morning. We woke up early at seven, ran down, and we all met up and we said, okay, let's just, one more shot, let's just try and talk to Mark, let's just just see if we can get to him before he talks to Dave. We walk into the room where we eat breakfast and Dave and Mark are already sitting at a table talking and we're just like, oh, this is it, this is our last breakfast, let's just go eat. So we're walking by, and I can't resist looking at Mark just to see what he's gonna say. And So I look over at him and he goes, did you have a good time last night? I said, yeah. And he said, well, don't let it happen again. And I looked at him, and then I looked at Dave, and I could tell Dave had no idea what we were talking about, that there had been no conversation between them. And so I ran over to the table and I was like, guys, he didn't tell him. They were like, he didn't tell him." I was like, no, he didn't tell him." So we are just like, couldn't be happier. We're just like best French toast in the world. Rawr, just, just loving it. So happy and laughing and giddy that we kept our $6 an hour jobs and super excited that we're not going to get fired. But it, for just a moment, it got kind of quiet. And I just said, oh man, guys, aren't you glad we didn't kill Mark? That would have totally ruined our breakfast. So, all right. That story is now officially retired. Maybe. So, um, so I work a lot with high school kids. I've worked a lot with your generation, the people who are your age, uh, were students when I was a youth pastor. This is what I do. This is what I love. And uh, a few years ago, I stopped loving it. Um, I actually started to get really nervous about youth ministry. And this is the reason that I got nervous about it because someone did some research and they found that uh, youth group kids who had graduated from their youth group weren't really very committed followers of Christ. And and in fact, the researcher who, who discovered this, who did the research, he had to come up with a name for what to call these people and the kind of religion that they were practicing. He called it moralistic therapeutic deism. And some of you have probably heard that phrase. It's been around for a while. But Christian Smith was the guy who coined that phrase. And when I read his book, The Results of His Research Project, I became really bummed out. I became really depressed about youth ministry. Because some, some people were saying youth ministry is the problem. Youth ministry is actually driving young people away from the church. They're in youth group for a few years, but then at the end of that, they leave the church and they leave Christ and they go a different direction and youth ministry is the problem. And I I said, if that's true, then I want nothing to do with youth ministry because what I really care about is these students. What I really care about is their, their lives and their faith and their eternal destiny. This is what I care about. And if what I'm doing is actually causing them to leave the church, Then I want nothing to do with it. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, It's a long explanation, but the short version of it is we believe that God exists, we believe that He's basically good. His desire for us is that we would be good, that we would behave. And if I ever need anything, if I ever get in a jam, I can ask God to help me out. But beyond that, there isn't much of a relationship. The researchers wanted to know, where did they learn this? Where did they get this idea of moralistic therapeutic deism? Because it didn't seem to matter where they were from or what kind of church or anything. They all sort of were practicing the same thing. And the research said they learned it from their parents. And they learned it from their youth pastors. And they learned it from their teachers. And they learned it from their pastors, significant spiritual people in their lives. Not because they were being taught that, but because it was being modeled for them in that way. That really what Christianity was about, really what faith is about, is moral behavior. If you behave well, then you are a good Christian. If you behave poorly, if you sin, you are a bad Christian. Dallas Willard, who's a theologian philosopher, he called this the Gospel of sin management." And I want to tell you today that it's a false gospel. It's not the real gospel. I wanna actually share a couple of stories that you're gonna be very familiar with from the Bible, from the book of Luke. You know both of these stories. I'm not sure if you've ever thought of these two stories as being related to one another, but Luke very intentionally, in my opinion, put these two stories in close proximity and in relation to other things that he was talking about. The context here really matters. He's talking about wealth, and he's talking about uh, transformation, the difference between looking good and actually being transformed. And he gives us two stories from the life of Jesus. The one is the rich young ruler, and the other is Zacchaeus. And I'm a little concerned about our time, but I'm gonna read them both because I want you to hear the stories again just so you're refreshed. I know you know these. Uh, If you don't, I'm sorry for being so presumptuous, but I think you probably know these stories. But listen to these two stories and listen for this. Listen for the ways in which they are similar. There are similarities. And then maybe listen for the ways in which they are contrasted to one another. The rich young ruler, this is from Luke chapter 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Listen to this story. Chapter 19 Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. In relation to one another you see some similarities like the fact that they're both very wealthy men they're also both well-known for very different reasons but they're well known but there's a lot of contrast in these stories and that's what I really want to point out I want to point out the major contrast between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus and the main contrast that you see is the response of the people when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he starts talking to him about what do I have to do to inherit eternal life and Jesus gives him the, the list of rules, the list of things to follow, the lists of sins not to commit, he says, I think quite proudly, I've done all that. That's, that's true. All of that is true of me. I've done all of that. I have managed all of that very well. And the people around all agreed when Jesus, when Jesus sent him away, when he went away sad, the people turned to each other. I didn't read this part, but the people turned to each other and they started going, what? If he can't make it, if he's not good enough for the kingdom, who is? How is it possible that this one who is wealthy, who obeys all the rules, who looks really good, how is it possible that that one isn't worthy of the kingdom? Because in their estimation, he was everything you needed to be. He was everything that someone would want from a faithful follower of God. But Jesus doesn't look at the external. He understood. I think the rich young ruler came to him not to ask him how to to gain eternal life or how to enter the kingdom of God. I think he came there to justify himself. He believed he already was. Earning eternal life. He believed he already had gained the kingdom life. He believed that this was already true of him. So he was there to justify himself. And from the surface, he was doing great. He looked really good. He had all his sin under control. But Jesus looked right into his heart and he saw the truth of what was in his heart. And the truth was, he had another God. Yes, he looked good on the surface. He was managing his sin very well. But Jesus doesn't want us to manage our sin. He wants to know what's going on in the inside. The contrast to that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, is he's about as bad as a man can be in their culture. He was notorious for how bad he was. He wasn't just a sinner. He wasn't just a cheat. He was the king of the cheats. He was the chief cheat, which is fun to say. Try, you can try it later. Not right now, I'm in the middle of something. He's the chief cheat. He's the one who, he didn't just cheat people out of their taxes. He cheated the other tax collectors out of their taxes, out of their earnings that they had stolen from people. He was getting wealthy off everyone. He was a traitor of the highest degree in everyone's estimation. Certainly, Jesus would see that. Certainly, Jesus would know what was going on. He would understand who Zacchaeus was. This man had no honor in his culture. He had no dignity. He climbed a tree, for crying out loud. Grown men don't climb tree. Twelve-year-olds climb trees. Grown men typically don't do that. But that's what Zacchaeus did. He actually climbed a tree to see him. This man had no dignity. He had no standing. And Jesus said to him, I need to come to your house. Right now, I'm coming to your house. And he went in there then something really amazing happens. We don't actually know exactly what the conversation was. We don't know what Jesus shared with Zacchaeus and his family about the kingdom and about who he was. But what we do know is something changed in this man that day. Here's what he says. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So first of all, he starts by giving away half of everything, everything he has. And then he says, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which he had, he says, I'm gonna actually pay them back four times what I took from them. Now, even as a child, I remember reading this story and struggling with the math, trying to figure out, wait a minute, if Zacchaeus has given away half of everything he has to begin with, and then what he stole from people, he's gonna pay them back four times, which was way more than the law required. The law required one and a half times if you stole something from somebody. He's gonna pay them back four times. I started to wonder as a kid, what's, what's gonna happen as a kid as he's giving away everything? What's he gonna have for himself? And I don't know the truth, but I believe the truth is he intended to give it all away. He intended to get rid of all of it because it didn't matter to him anymore. The money wasn't important to him anymore. Do you see the difference between these two stories? Do you see the key element between these two stories? That the rich young ruler walked away with his sin managed well and his God of money and sadness in his soul. Zacchaeus gave everything away and was a transformed person. This is really important I believe for your generation. And if and if I could apologize for my generation and previous generations that have put the weight of sin management on you, I would do that. I am doing that. I apologize for that. Because the gospel is not about sin management. The gospel is about transformation. The gospel is about being different from the inside out. We sang that earlier being transformed from the inside out. That's what the gospel is about. Not trying to make sure that we don't do any of these sins, or if we do those sins, we hide them well enough. I don't know how many of you are in an accountability relationship, if you have an accountability partner. When I was a youth pastor, when I first became a youth pastor, everybody said to me, you have to have an accountability partner. I didn't even know what one was. I was like, okay, it's part of the job description, I guess. So I did, I, I, did. I found a guy who I really trusted and I, I was gonna tell him the truth about everything. And, but the, the truth is, I can lie to my accountability partner if I choose. I don't have to tell my accountability partner the truth. I, I think I have lied to my accountability partner. But God doesn't want accountability in us. He wants transformation. I'm I'm not saying accountability is wrong. Hear me very clearly. I still meet with the same dude we've been meeting for almost 20 years. I still meet with him and we regularly encourage one another and tell the truth to one another and pray for one another. I believe in accountability, but I only believe in it if it leads to transformation. If all it's about is just managing our sin, then it's not that useful. Because the gospel isn't about sin management. It's about being different people. So Jesus summarizes, I believe, his connection between these two stories is sort of the conclusion that Luke wants us to come to as we read this. And I I want this to be true as well. I want this to be my conclusion for what Jesus says here and what he's saying to us this morning. So the rich young ruler walks away very sad. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? If the one who has his sin managed can't be saved, if the one who looks good on the outside and and has money and, and everything that our culture would say is a good, godly person, if that one can't be saved, who can be saved? And here's what Jesus says. What is impossible with man is possible with God. If you're busy right now managing your sin, trying to be a good Christian, a well-behaved Christian, a Christian who looks really good on the outside, you're not gonna be able to keep that up. You're not gonna be able to keep that up because that's all about you. The gospel of sin management, in the end it says, I want what I want. That's what the rich young ruler said. In the end he looked at the options and he went, ah, I would love that, but what I really want is what I want. I want my money, I want my life the way it is, I want my God. The gospel of sin management says I want what I want, but the gospel of transformation says I only want what Jesus wants. I only want the spirit to do what the spirit wants to do inside of me. That's a huge difference in the way we choose to live our lives. I'm gonna pray for you, and this is my prayer. My prayer is that that the Holy Spirit would convict and convince you of the areas where you're trying to manage your sin. But I'm also gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would give you great freedom to be a transformed person. Spirit, I do pray that. I believe with all my heart in what Jesus said here, with man, this is impossible. If I do this on my own, if we do this on our own, we cannot do it. We will not be able to keep up the appearances. And at some point, we're gonna come face to face with the sin of our lives, and we're gonna feel so much shame and guilt about it, we won't even be able to go into our churches. We won't even be able to talk to our Christian friends. We'll walk away. We'll have so much shame built up with man this is impossible but oh God with you all things are possible Spirit of God fill us up fill us up transform us from the inside make it known to us the areas of our life that we're just trying to manage and transform those areas heal I pray God heal us Heal us on the inside. That we may live a gospel of transformation that will be irresistible for others around us. It will be all-consuming within us. Fill us I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.